may be seated. Um, well, Bob sort of let the cat out of the bag and saying Sean's here this morning. But uh, we just, uh, if you haven't been here before when Sean is, is preached, uh, you're in for a treat. He's just, uh, well, he doubts himself, but <laughs> he's just an awesome, uh, awesome guy, awesome preacher. And he's going to tell us probably more about Providence Rescue Mission and just, uh, just give him a warm round of applause. Like I say, just a blessing to us. Thank you. It's good to be here. You know, it's a funny thing. I, I have the privilege of preaching a lot of different churches, which I find funny, just because I knew me before Jesus. Um, but there's some churches I walk into, and it's like coming home, coming to family. You guys are that church. You're one of those churches, you know. No, sincerely. There's just some, I, I love going to every church. I mean, it's not like, well, this church is bad and this church is good. <laughs> I don't like them that much. Um, but there's some churches I just walk into and there's been a connection since the beginning of the mission's inception, hard to believe, 24 years ago. And it's that, that partnership, that friendship, that brotherhood. Bob and I were just talking. Bob and I bust on each other. Like, it's a right, but it's like brothers, you, you know, and, and to me, that's cool. You know, I mean, as long as both parties consent, you know. <laughs> and if not, then it becomes a Jesus thing and ought and going to the altar and all that stuff, and it gets complicated. But, but I, 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 I have that such a joy when I come here. So to start off, thank you for having me. As far as me speaking and how much you're going to love it. But uh, so it's good to be here, you know. Um, just real quick, I mean, I, the really great thing is the connection with uh, your youth, your youth pastor, and the, the church has come down to the mission for years, but now the, the youth are getting involved, and that's very exciting to us. Uh, the coat drive is great. I mean, the hats and gloves, the mittens and stuff, as weird as this sounds, a really great place we use those for is our Christmas store, because poor families, you know, we make the assumption, oh, I need a pair of mittens, or my kids need mittens, or they need a hat, or they need a glove. Well, that's not real in the world we live in right now, because before it was COVID, now it's the cost of living. Uh, you know, average about 28 to 32% increase in the cost of living. And, you know, you hear those things on the news, you hear the price of gas and all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. But it equates to us, people now are deciding, can I pay my rent, can I pay my utilities, or... Can I buy food? So hats, gloves, mittens, and stuff like that, or that's kind of like a luxury item. So bringing those down, when we open up our Christmas store and do our Christmas store, the first thing that goes are the clothing. Like, because moms, you know, moms are moms, right? You know, dads might think, of, oh, he'll like the fire truck. Moms are like, he needs the gloves, right? You know, that's why women are smarter than men. I've said it for years. I'll say it again. So... Those hats, gloves, and mittens, not only will they be used for the homeless, but they'll be used for our Christmas store, which will be really cool, too. Been busy. Uh, I'm just going to give a, just a little synopsis. Uh, there's a new video. You know, Jennifer, what, we, didn't, we didn't play the video. I, I don't know what to say. I think I have to leave. We didn't play the video. Go online. <laughs> Go online. New video up on uh, a testimony of a young man. I can say young now, everybody pretty much is younger than me, um, who came to the mission years ago, years ago. He was one of our early disciples. 
And now today, he just shares his story. Cool story. Uh, Mark. So when you go up, uh, just go up, check it out. It's on the webpage, right, Jen? Yeah, it's on the webpage. Uh, normally, we bring it. I just got back from sabbatical, so I'm kind of confused. Last week at this time, I was visiting my daughter in Missouri, so I'm not, I'm not on the right time frame yet. But go, go listen to that. It's really cool. Um, busy, you know, 5,000-plus families a week for food. Uh, through the mission. Um, we're still the only emergency walk-in shelter in the state. Uh, the discipleship program is going well. You know, it's interesting. We don't give up on people. You know, Jesus never did that, right? Uh, I never read in the Bible where Jesus goes, that's it, I've talked to you enough. I'm done. I can't give you any more. And the mission's always been that way. When we when I first started, I read a book, and it was about uh, a fellow that became an early mission guy uh, after the revival started of missions, started of missions in the 1860s with Jerry McCauley. He was one of the people that went through that mission. And what was interesting historically was that God started the mission in New York City during the height of the Industrial Revolution, and all these people from an agrarian background came into New York trying to find jobs. Unfortunately, they didn't have things like Twitter, um, DMing, email. They didn't have phones. So they didn't really have newspapers, per se. And so they didn't realize at the time that there was this huge inswell of European immigrants coming primarily into New York City to do the same thing they were. So they didn't find jobs. They became desperate. They struggled with addiction and things like that. And God started the first rescue mission, the first gospel rescue mission. Uh, Jerry and Mariah McCauley, Jerry was an um, uh, Irish immigrant, illiterate, river thief alcoholic who got saved in Sing Sing Penitentiary. Mariah's wife was an alcoholic prostitute that worked in the docks of New York City, some of the worst places you could work. And God took these two people and started the first gospel rescue mission. So these guys would come. And there's, this is going to go back to what it's taught about. Don't worry, just follow the rabbit hole. It'll be okay. And um, so they would come and they would get saved. And then they went back to cities and started rescue missions. So God exploded rescue missions in really like 25 years. There were hundreds of rescue missions in the United States. So the guy that did this dies, right? And they have his eulogy. And uh, the president of the... International Union of Gospel Rescue Missions. Interestingly, in the turn of the 20th century, was a woman. And they don't, a lot of people don't know this about rescue missions, but most rescue missions were started by husbands and wives, and the men would die, and the women would keep being in charge of the rescue mission. It, it wasn't a political thing, and it wasn't a, anything, but they were poured in and they kept going. As a matter of fact, Mariah started a second mission in New York City after. Jerry only lived eight years after he started the first. He, he succumbed to tuberculosis. So this guy dies, and they're having Julie. The president comes, and she's speaking, and she tells a story about this guy, and, 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 and it's, it's going to go back to, you know, Jesus never gives up on anybody, right? And so we're in the same mold as the original rescue missions. Uh, we preach the gospel every day, right? Uh, we care for the poor and the, and the homeless and their needs, but we do it all privately. Uh, you know, we've always been private. That's Those are the three benchmarks of a gospel rescue mission. You preach the gospel, it's your first priority. You care for the poor and the homeless, 
and you trust God's provision, not man's provision or the state or the government. That's how we've always been. Some missions are like that, some aren't. You know, I just do me. <laughs> I don't worry about what everybody else Like, I'm not telling you anybody else is good or bad. I got enough problems on my own. And, uh, you know, so she starts talking about this guy's life, and she goes, one of the best stories about this guy was, one day he got contacted by his largest donor. He said, I have to talk to you. They arrange a meeting. The guy comes in, sits down, biggest donor. You know, this is the guy. This is the money guy. This is the guy that every organization needs. They write the check. All right? Every so often, you talk to any missionary. You talk to any missionary. There's a couple of people out there. There's great support, but there's always a couple of people out there that nobody knows about that writes. I see missionaries, and they're nodding their head. They know, right? And this guy says, I got a problem with your organization. That's one of the first things you don't want to hear when you're on an organization from the money guy that he's got a problem. You can see this isn't going to go well. And he said, what's the problem? And he goes, I bring my family down here every month to serve. And he says, we see some of the same people time and again, time and again, time and again. And he said, you know, I have to be a good steward with God's money. He goes, at what point... Do you say to somebody, there's other people that need your slot? Reasonable question from a business perspective, right? Reasonable question. Businessmen think that way. And the executive director that passed away had said, oh, he says, you don't know my God. I have trouble saying this. (laughs) Like I know my God. He says, we never give a man up. We've lived that. Last night, I'm minding my own business, trying to prepare a sermon. And as you can imagine, I can tell you stories about alcoholics and drug addicts and the insanity involved. And, you know, a lot of times there's people that come to us that we work with. Some people I'm still working with 20 years. They come in, they leave, they come in, they leave. And then when they leave, they do insane stuff sometimes. Crazy stuff, you know. And when they leave, it's always our fault that they left. We, you know, we fed them, we clothed them, we preached, we loved them, but we horrible human beings. I understand it. And that happened to this person. I've been ministering to this person 13 years, 14 years. They make it for a while, they drink, make it for a while, come back, make it for a while, drink, come back, make it for a while. And the last time they left, it was bad. It was a lot of insanity, a lot of craziness. Uh, it actually was something I had to deal with at 1 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. I'm old. Okay, 1 o'clock in the morning, that, that's not my gig anymore. Okay, I like to be sleeping at 1 o'clock on a Saturday. When you're 6 over 60, you don't go out anymore. You're not getting in. The, the sun coming up for a lot of us means we're getting up to go to work. Right? You know, that's our life. And, and so it was really, really the craziest ever been. Uh, it was just a bad scene for what was going on for this person. I felt bad for him. And they said horrible, horrible things. Horrible, horrible things. And threatened all sorts of stuff. And my wife and I just pray for them. Because we love them. Last night about 8 o'clock as I was trying to prepare a sermon for my time here, my phone rings. And it's them. 
I'm sitting in an apartment by myself. I can't stop drinking. Will you help? We did. And that's the mission. It's what makes the mission different from everything else. Is we never give up. We never give up. Because it's not us, it's God. It's not God if we said, well, I'm not going to take that call right now. Right? I'm preparing a sermon. I'm busy. No. God's always in the people business. There's nothing more important to God than people. Right? And if you look at it, if you look at it, I think of the... um, this is totally off sermon, so I might as well just go put the iPad. You know, it's funny. I said to Bob, I said to Bob when I came here, I turned my iPad on. It was blank. No, it, it's, and I was like, holy smokes, it's blank. Right? Like, that's not good. And Bob, I tell Bob, he goes, well, I guess you'll just have to let the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Bob. Thanks a lot. Like, no, let me take a look at it. See if I can get it working. I got nothing here. It's back. It's back. But... I don't know if I'm going to use it. It's just the way it goes. Bob was right. Bob was right. I think of the rich ruler, or the, the Jewish ruler, Jars, right? Now, I don't, I'm going off script here, so don't ask when and where you look it up. You've got Google. I might have a Bible app. You do it. Or the old-fashioned way with a concordance. I don't know. But, and so what? He comes to Jesus. His daughter's dying, right? She, she's dying. He's desperate. We don't even know if he has a relationship with Christ at this point because he's a Jewish ruler, so chances are not maybe that great because there was a lot of conflict between Jesus and the Jewish rulers of the towns. But he's desperate, and he comes to Jesus. He says, if you come, she'll live. Now, it's his only daughter. His only daughter. So you can imagine the urgency here. You can imagine the urgency of he's desperate, he says, he doesn't say, I, it's serious. Now, if I was a father, which I am, I have two daughters and two sons. If one of them was really sick to death and there was a solution, my urgency to get that solution from where it was to my house would be off the scale, right? I would do anything to do that, right? Right? And Jesus says, oh, okay, I'll come. I'll come. So you've got to be thinking to yourself, God, man, i got a shot. I got, I've heard. I've heard. If he, if he has a teaser. The word's out. The buzz is out. This guy's raising people from the dead, giving people sight, curled up hands, boom, gone. Whew. Paralyzed people up, jumping around, taking their mats, dancing into the temple. i got a shot. Jesus takes his time. Jesus stops. You gotta, I'm looking at not from Jesus' perspective. I'm, I'm over here with Jairus. All of a sudden, Jesus... Now there's, and it's interesting, because I thought about this. So Jairus is trying to get Jesus' house, and everywhere Jesus goes, you've got to understand, he's a rock star. He's like LeBron James, Donald Trump, and you can pick whatever other Taylor Swift... And take all the people that want to see. Could you imagine if the three of them walked down Main Street in Providence, the crowds, 
that would come. You couldn't control it. Well, that was Jesus' life when he went into cities and villages. You've got to understand, it wasn't like Jesus just walked in and sat around and a few people came around and said, Jesus, what's up? People were thronging Jesus. You can read about it. There's a time when the guy, remember the guy that gets lowered by, they bust the roof open, they lower him down. Why? They couldn't get inside the house. Why? Because there's a gazillion people everywhere. I was just reading the other day, I was reading about Jesus fed the 5,000. By the way, it was 5,000 men. That wasn't 5,000 people. It was 5,000 men Jesus was preaching to. That meant the women and children were extra. So you could at least double or triple it. So somewhere in the neighborhood of at least 10 to 15,000 people, which, by the way, is a miracle. Could you? I got a big voice. Could you imagine 15,000 people? Do you think the guy in the back row, could you quiet down? You're too loud. Of course not. But they heard Jesus. It was the Spirit of God upon them that they could hear the Word of God. 15,000 people, and Jesus isn't mic'd up. Right? So it's crazy. So, and he feeds him, he takes care of him. So he, was, he, was, he was thronged everywhere he went. Jesus had no peace when he was about his father's business. Jesus was about his father's business. It was disruptive. It was crazy. It was the, the disciples, God love them. They must have felt like they were flying by the seat of their pants all the time. Not knowing up, down, left, right. And even in the next, now Jairus is trying to get Jesus. Now, now start grabbing this picture because now you've got to imagine Jairus is trying to get Jesus through that crowd that's following everywhere, by the way. It's not like he gets out of town and I go, I needed a break. How, how, how many hours before we're to the next town? You know, they were with him everywhere. That's where the five thoughts, everywhere he went, geez, he went on a boat, he got across the boat, they were waiting for him. And if they weren't waiting for him, he got off a boat and the legion of demons was waiting for him. He was a busy guy. And people wanted to be around him all the time. And now Jairus is trying to get Jesus, his only hope, to his daughter. And Jesus, in the middle of it all, there's this woman with an issue of blood, which most medical people believe today is that she had cancer of the cervix, is what they believe, which causes unstoppable blood flow. And it says that she had given everything she had to the doctors and still found no relief. And she says, if I can just press in and touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And we read that stuff and go, oh, yeah, that's just great. Well, that's, that's that. Come on. Who thinks like that? Desperate people think like that. And she does it. And what I find crazy about it is, Jesus stops. He's t- like he's not rushing through. Imagine all these people are pressing in. Somebody touches Jars is like grabbing. Come on, let's, let's get, let's go, get through the crowd. Let's go. We got to get to my daughter. Jesus stops. He says, "I love it because if you read it, he goes, who touched me?" And you see Peter going, "Wait, wait what?" <laughs> or John going, what? "Are you okay? You plugged in, Jesus?" Because they say it, basically, they go, what do you mean who touched you? Are you aware of the size of the crowd? Like the disciples, the apostles are doing crowd control. You can see them, their arms are linked in their garments, and they're they're just trying to keep like a half a shield around Jesus. You you can see, can you see it? Who touched me? The poor disciples. No wonder they were confused all the time. I'd be confused. (laughs) 
And then the woman, I mean, the crowd, why didn't she fade away? I mean, see, what I'm saying is, again, I'm coming back to Jairus. This wasn't a quick thing. Like, we read a verse or two in the Bible, and in our minds, at least in my mind, my time frame's like, let's get to the next, reading the next chapter, reading the next chapter. This was a condensed chapters, four gospels, four books about the life of Jesus Christ, three and a third years on the planet Earth. This was not a quick event. This took time. Time that Jairus didn't have. But Jesus never gives up on anybody. He wasn't even concerned about Jairus' daughter. Why? Because Jesus preaches, suffice it unto the day, the sins of the day, the moment and the time that you're in. Be about your father's business in the moment. That's totally confusing to me. How good are you at staying? Think about this. How good are you at staying in the moment? Really, get honest with yourself. Not good. Not good. Not, I'm not good for me at all. My mind is like scary. <laughs> but I'm trying to think of... It's probably like trying to, God trying to herd kittens. <laughs> right? My mind. Because my mind is everywhere. Right? I mean, maybe you guys are all concise and got it all together, and I'm up here preaching. Maybe one of y'all should come up here and preach, because I'm a mess. I'm just telling you how it is, right? But Jesus stays, you know, this is the crazy thing, and this is heaven, by the way, and I was going to preach on the Our Father, but we're clearly not going there today, which is okay. But the idea of, you know, heaven, this is going to blow our mind, but to my knowledge, there is no time pieces in heaven. And if you think about it, what's the thing that controls us more than anything else? Time. My wife and I watch this show. This is why I'm a good husband. I watch British drama with my wife. In this one show, it's called Lark Rise to Candleford. Anybody know it? Uh, The missionaries know it, it figures. That makes total sense to me. <laughs> and it, for some reason, it's just a show. It's a, it's a nice show. It's, it's non-controversial. There's no swearing. There's no partial nudity. It's about these families and villages in the 1800s. I can't believe I'm like, I know this stuff. And it really calms my wife down. So we watch Lark Rise to Candle for the last thing we watch. We spend time in the evening, pray and do this stuff. And one of the things we have a routine, I use a head scratcher on her head and we watch Lark Rise to Candle for <laughs> I, I love my wife. Listen, she stayed with me for 29 years. I owe her big. So, but there's this one episode where they didn't have a clock and the guy came in to put a clock in the watchtower and they said, oh, that's a great clock. He goes, we can hardly wait to get done. He goes, are you going to be happy when it's controlling your life? When you're worried about time being eaten away? It's the biggest control we have is time. Because why? We all struggle with staying in the moment. And the problem with it is, is when we don't stay in the moment, we miss the glories of God. 
It's just the truth. And that, that doesn't mean it's a sin. It doesn't mean we're bad. It doesn't mean anything. It, what it really means is we're not utilizing the inheritance that we have available to us. We're kind of eating like a hot dog when we could be having a filet mignon, if you will, as a comparison. Uh, so my mind, being like herding kittens or like bright, shiny things, <laughs> bright, shiny things. Ooh, what's that? Ooh! That's, I'm like fighting that in my head all day long. I'm like, stay focused. Ooh! <laughs> you know, right? But Jesus never had that problem. Jesus was always, Jesus still is. He's always in the moment. And what, I'm, what, what I'd ask you to consider is, is that we're missing out. That the moment is where miracles happen. Well, they both begin with M. I like that. <laughs> use that title. The moment is where miracles. I'll use that as a sermon title someday. <laughs> See what I mean? I'm over here. Woo, shiny thing. But it's true, miracles are in the moment. Miracles are never planned out. Miracles are never, miracles are never um, you know, okay, well, if I'm here by 8.15, from 8.15 to 8.20, that miracle's going to happen. <laughs> the reality of it is if you know something's going to happen, it's not a miracle. Like, if you, like we're not God. I don't, <laughs> I don't get to say to God, yeah, okay, I'm going to pop a couple miracles here. <laughs> that blind guy, come here. Right? I don't get that. But that's what it is. And so Jesus is having a conversation with this woman. And he says, who touched me? She doesn't fade away. I'm amazed by that. She comes forward. And interesting, in some of the verses it says that she fell down and told him all the truth. Now, I don't know what that means. I find it interesting because what I find interesting is, is when she's done telling all the truth, she goes from being a woman with an issue of blood that Jesus says, sister, arise. She goes from being a woman with an issue of blood to being the sister of Jesus. I think he healed her more than blood. The miracle wasn't the blood. The miracle was the blood was the catalyst to the heart condition of that woman. And she became, when she told him all the truth, she became Jesus' sister. In the moment. In the moment. Now, again, my buddy Jars. Can you imagine Jars? They don't have watches, but if they did. Like, what do you say to Jesus when he's taking his time? You're, what, are you, what's he, what are you going to say? Like, hey, Jesus, can you come back to her later? I know she's bleeding out over there, but my daughter's dying. Can you move it along? So what happens? They get there. Guess what? Jars' daughter's what? Gone. Dead. Room temperature. Room temperature. Right? Jesus didn't look at Jars and hmm. Sorry I got caught up over here with the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, my condolences for your loss. If you'd like, I'll pray at the tomb. It didn't affect Jesus at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus, all people say, they laughed at him. They're like, oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. They, it says they laughed at the boy. Right? But Jesus didn't give up on Charles' daughter. Jesus never gives up on anybody. See, my point is, is if you stay in the moment with Christ, and, if, and, 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 the, and the thing to incorporate, and I will incorporate a little bit of this sermon here. When you look at the Our Father, which with, I, had, I got two pages here, I do. And if it wasn't so late, we could do that. Well, maybe another day I'll come, I don't know. But what I do know, this is, it's incredible. The Our Father is actually four, four verses of Luke. 
And one of them is the disciples requesting something. So if you look at Luke, just for your knowledge, it's, I got it somewhere. What about that one? Yeah, I think it's something like that where they put it. Yeah, Luke 11. Thank you. But Luke 11, one is, the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. So the Our Father isn't even th- four verses. It's three verses in the Bible. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those that trespass against us. I was brought up a good Roman Catholic. Said that prayer every day and meant nothing to me. I just said it. But it means something to me today. If you're living in the Our Father, now Jesus, they said, teach us how to pray. And there's some other preliminary things in Luke and in Matthew that you can look at about going into your prayer closet, not being repetitive. Your father already knows we need all that stuff. But, but the bottom line here is, is if you look at this and you say, okay, all right. They asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Now, why? Because Jesus was doing some bat crazy stuff. Jesus was doing stuff that they'd never seen before. Jesus was doing things that, can you just imagine for three years you woke up every day and you didn't know what miracle was going to take place, but probably one was? Think about that. Because I got news for you. Jesus is still doing miracles. It's not like this was three to 30 years and Jesus is like, I'm on vacation. (laughs) I'm going on a long sabbatical. I'm playing a lot of golf up in heaven. Maybe take a cruise. I'll be back. The problem is, is Jesus does miracles in the moment. We miss miracles because we get out of the moment, not because Jesus stopped doing them. When you're in the moment and you're doing, but the key here is, and when you look at Jesus, he says, thy will be done. Now listen, if you look in the Gospels, one of the things that Jesus talks about all the time He'll say, I'm about the will of my Father. I'm about the will of my Father. It's my Father's will. It's my Father's will. You see it repeated repetitively in the four Gospels. When Jesus repeats stuff in the Gospel, it's because he's trying to get our attention. It's just like a father. Like Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's like your dad saying, I told you, don't get down by the street. Stay out of the street. Same verbiage, same verbiage, same emphasis of verbiage. I'm about the will of my Father. 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 How do we pray? Father, your will be done. Not my will. See, if I'm doing the will of the Father, then I'm in the moment. See, this is, so people might say, how do you know you're doing the will of the Father? Well, if you find yourself feeling like you're looking at something shiny... You're out of the moment. But in the moment, miracles happen. In the moment, Jesus can use you more powerfully than any other book, any sermon, any anything. That moment, that moment when somebody comes to you and Jesus says, yes, right now, right now, minister to that person. That's the miracle. And you never know what's going to happen. Crazy stuff happens. 
You may minister to them, and they may make fun of you. They may call you a fool. They may degrade you. They may talk bad about you. They may make your life miserable. But someday, and it may not be till you get the glory, you find out they got saved. See, the miracle isn't seeing the end result. The miracle is that God would take a person like me or a person like you and put you in the place where Jesus was to minister to people in their lives. That's the miracle. The miracle is, is that he would take a decrepit, atheist, drug addict, alcoholic, I, I, I don't want to say horrible human being, horrible human being, me, horrible human being. And he would allow me the miracle of telling somebody that they need Jesus in their life. That they're going to die and go to hell unless Christ becomes the Savior. How do you think? You don't think it's a miracle that I have a boldness to speak that? You think I'm that good of a person? You think I'm that? Oh, that's Sean. I wish I was like him. You don't want to be like me. I don't want to be like me. I want to be like Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? So I want to encourage you. I got greenlighted by Bob to go longer than 30 minutes, so blame him. Because we're past 30. But (laughs) I want to encourage you. Be in the moment. Be part of the miracle. Because this is a crazy world right now, right? It's getting crazy. Seriously. I'll leave you with this. It's crazy out there. It's crazy out there. We're in a country now that seems to have spoken that they like the way it is, not the way we'd like to see it, in some bad ways. Now, don't be shocked, because in the book of Revelations, you will find a reference to Russia, and you will find a reference to China. To my knowledge, you don't find any reference to the United States of America. So it's okay. You can't stop it. If we stopped it, then there wouldn't be a second coming, wouldn't be a second coming, new heaven, new heaven. Who wants to do that? But the point is, is I think time's shorter. Priorities have to shift in the church. And when I say the church, I mean us as people. We need to be in the moment. We need to realize that people are so lost. And they're depressed and they're anxious. And they they can't figure out their pronouns anymore. And I'm not being judgmental. I'm not saying that in a mean way. I'm not saying that as something's wrong with you, but... I mean, we're literally sitting in a world today that, that, that leaders can't define who a woman is, what a woman is. And, and again, no judgment, no like, oh, it, it's what it is. But all that means is that there's such confusion. And I don't mean that, I, who's the author of confusion? Right? The devil. Do you think the devil really, though, as I finish this, do you think the devil really cares about all the things that are going on out here, what do you think the devil really cares more than anything else about? What's that? Right, and to do that, if he keeps you and me out of the moment with social media, with the news, with how this goes against our values and morals, I got news for you. The Romans weren't real moral. See? The devil just wants to get you. 
See, people say, well, what can I do? What can I do? It's, just, it's not big. It's in the moment. The devil wants to get you out of the moment that Jesus has for you every, all day long. And when we're about our moment every day, that's our focus. Stay in the moment. Stay in the moment. Stay in the moment. Father's will. Stay in the moment. It doesn't matter what happens because this isn't our home. I'm just visiting. I'm going home. I don't care about here. Do you really care about here? I mean, listen, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I'm a big grandkid guy. Grandkids are great. You get to do whatever you want with none of the responsibility. Outstanding. Outstanding. Oh, no, no. Don't worry that he's tearing up those documents. He's just playing. It's true. Grandparents, am I lying? It's okay. Oh, no, no, that's all right if he peed his pants again. It'll be fine. You brought a pair. You brought a spare, right? You're a good mother. <laughs> but, but, but do I care? Do you really care? Think about this, because aren't we getting sucked into this vortex? Do you really, number one, do you really care about what's going on in the world? And number two, if you do, what could you do to change the political spectrum? And number three, is it the will of your father's? I would contend to you that the answer is, it doesn't matter, I can't change it, and my father knows all about it anyhow, and he hasn't asked me to do anything, because my Bible doesn't show any time where Jesus protested against the government. He said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's. The moments belong to God. The moments belong to God. Right? We are world changers. We are destiny changers. We are eternal changers by living in the moment and ministering the gospel. We are miracle makers by the hands of God. Who cares what party's in power? Who cares? It doesn't matter to me. Does it matter to you? Do you think God's going, man, the Democrats beat the Republicans. I just didn't think that was going to (laughs) happen. Do you think God is even, do you think that's even on God's radar? He sent his son to die on the cross. You think, he goes, geez, I, geez, I hope they get some moral legislation in there in New England. He doesn't, it's not valuable to God. We are. The people that God calls us to touch in the moment with the gospel and then showing the love of Christ along with it makes us miracles and makes them miracle receivers. God bless you guys.